Hello, this is former Fox Sports Wisconsin anchor and proud fellow Wauwatosan Jeff Grayson. From my position high in the booth, it appears conditions are good for this much-anticipated matchup. Let's go down to the studio. The action is about to start. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. It's Chris Beyer, as always, with Jim Martin. Jim. Hello, fans. Hello, everyone. Sports hello, fans. Hello, sports fans. This I, I contacted Jim here. This is a rarity in the Bait and Switch uh, podcast uh, genre here. It's an emergency podcast. I call emergency. it emergency podcast. Yep, emergency. Yep, yep. The, yep. the call went out. I saw the signal up in the sky. I said, hold yep. on. Yep. Yep. And I, I call this because of a couple of things. The Milwaukee Bucks uh, are quite possibly going to be in the NBA Finals. We are recording this on the Friday before the Game 6, which is coming up. If you're hearing this podcast, they have won. If you're not hearing this podcast, I don't know how you got a hold of this audio. If you're not hearing it? Yeah, turn it off. <laughs> turn it off right now because it does not intend to go on air. So right. anyway, we've got this uh, podcast that we're doing here in advance of the Bucks, hopefully going to the finals for the first time since 1974. Wow. Jim, uh, yeah, you were just uh, a small child. I was four. I was four years old. So that. So, OK, so this is the finals. Yeah, because I remember when they had the big three and they never went to the finals, though. Huh? Correct. OK. Yeah, that okay. was uh, a big dog. And yep. And Ray uh, Allen. Ray Allen and, and uh, then, uh, Humphreys. The- no, no, it was, um, it was a little uh, Cassell, Sam Cassell. Cassell Sam Cassell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What mm-hmm. did I say? Humphreys. Yeah. Anyway, Sam Cassell. He was the ET guy. But anyway. Yeah, right. He um, was, yeah. Squished up face. There was two reasons I brought this up. Is One, you know, the Bucks might get to the finals. And so that's first time 50 years or thereabouts. And also we've got an in. We've got an in with Jeff Josh Grayson, who our listeners know is the voice of the opening for season four here. Yep. And Jeff, if you listen, if you listen to season three, we interviewed Jeff and he is a former uh, sports host for Fox sports. He uh, did the in, uh, pregame and the postgame for the Milwaukee bucks and the Milwaukee Brewers for 11 years, again, for Fox sports. Uh, he hasn't done it for a couple of years here now, but I know him from high school. I thought, Perfect. We got the guy that was an analyst. Let's this bring him guy. on and let's do a let's do an emergency podcast. And with that, let's welcome Jeff Josh Grayson. Welcome, Josh. Josh. You know, it's hard to say that Josh <laughs> is my nickname. Thank yeah. you, guys. That's why I went with Jeff on the air because I couldn't say my name yeah. <laughs> correctly. You, you guys, I feel like you guys could change this to the bait and switch back because you've gone back now to me, and I am honored. Oh well, welcome. Yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, stepping in in emergency purposes. We appreciate the, you know, it was like on the spot notice, no no notice at all. Here you are, boom. Yep. Absolutely, I'm glad to do it, especially for two fellow Red Raiders. But I I do it anyway, even if you guys were from Tulsa West. Yeah, no, nah, you shouldn't. <laughs> well, we talked off air about how when you did the Bucks uh, broadcast that you worked with another fellow Wauwatosa East alum, Tony Smith. I did. It, it was really special, at least for me. I'm not sure if Tone, how much he thought it was, but no, Tony and I became became pretty good friends. And yeah, we had two Tosa East guys doing the Bucks for uh, over a decade together and uh, loved working with him. And, you know, it's had co- some common friends. And Tony's one of the prodigal sons of uh, Red Raider basketball because he mm-hmm. he really, from, from the time Tony 
got on the varsity as a sophomore and then, you know, they got to the, to the state semifinals. I still think they were robbed of a call against Sheboygan North in the semifinals and what yep. really should have been the championship, but let's not go there. But uh, Tony, uh, Tony's really, you know, become a fantastic broadcaster, does Marquette basketball. He, he loves Marquette. And uh, we had a really good time doing the Bucks together. And it was special because here you had two Tosa East guys uh, telling people about the Bucks across the state and beyond. Yeah, I had the uh, the honor of watching Tony in high school. We would that was that was the thing we did every. I think it was like Tuesdays and Fridays to go to the basketball games, watch mm-hmm. him slam dunk and go crazy, and it was it was a blast. And I agree with you. We got uh, I don't know how I want to say it politely on the air, but we 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 lost that game, uh, and we probably should have won that game, Sheboygan North game. So. Yeah, not yeah. that we hope I was, I was there for that game. Were you at that Sheboygan North game? I was there too. Yeah, I was yeah. there. We were I all was, there. I was there as well. And uh, I was going to school at Madison at the time. Oh, nice. And I went because, again, a common friend of ours had a brother on the team, Rick Mongan. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember watching that game. Name the Sheboygan North star, Jeff. Kurt Portman. Yes. There you go. And, and they also nice. a guy named Troy Rudolph. But it was Kurt Portman, the seven-footer. Mm-hmm. Big dude. He went to Wisconsin. Tony went to Marquette. And they were mm-hmm. kind of the... The, the, it was kind of that matchup, even though they're two totally different players, because Tony's you know about six three and a half, and yeah. Portman's a a seven footer. But the controversial play that I remember is a point guard named Scott Rise, who mm-hmm. was on who was a very good point guard for Tosi's fast break, and if memory serves, he fed Tony for either an alley oop jam or an alley oop basket or something, and one of them got called for a charge when it should have been basket and the foul and the foul right and Tony going to the line and it was at a pivotal point of the game and you know who knows you know it's been almost 40 years but I talked to Tony about that and he just shook it off I was more mad about it than he was all these sure. years because you know he's 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 moved on from it but <laughs> not us if not you us. look <laughs> if you look at Tosa East basketball we we had good teams over the years before that mm-hmm. but it was really when Tony came in since going forward then yeah that our high school really, you know, took it to another level and they've won some state titles and they just won another one. But it was really that team with yeah. Tony and Scott Rice, Dan Miller. They mm-hmm. they had a really nice team that year and that should have been the championship game. Yep. And then after that they had Devin Harris. Yep. Um so I think I think we lost that Sheboygan North game by two points, if I remember yeah. right. So yeah. Yep. Well yeah. You know, speaking of old yeah. times, uh <laughs> do any players overlap currently on the Bucks roster from when you were doing the Bucks games. Was Giannis on the team when you oh, were? Oh, yeah. Giannis was. Giannis was on the team. I used to write out his name uh, phonetically, and it would always be said differently. I, mm-hmm. I learned after a while, just say Giannis, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was there. I remember we had a special when the Bucks drafted Giannis, and John Hammond uh, was the general manager, a really good guy to have on the air. And he was – that was really a coup for the Bucks to have Giannis. I mean, Chris Middleton, uh, the Bucks made the trade for Chris uh, when I was there. But um, those are pretty much the two guys. I mean, you know, sports can be transient these days, a lot of comings and goings, especially uh, in the NBA. The Bucks have, you know, they have a, a different front office now. Uh, John Horst took over as general manager during the time I was doing the Bucks, but yeah, they've they've changed a lot over the years, and now they're you know they're knocking on the door. But yeah, Giannis uh, was a big part of the broadcast when uh, I was doing it. He started out you know uh, pretty low profile and just kept getting better and better. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Giannis uh, started out very raw. He started in basketball quite late and his game continues to improve. And you may or may not still keep up with it. Giannis has been the MVP now twice, I believe. Right. Uh, But his game is still very focused on dunks and getting to the rim. Uh, Do you think there's still more upside for Giannis or is he at the top? Believe it or not, I do think there's there's more upside for Giannis because what you said, he's young in terms of overall basketball experience. We were talking about Tony Smith. You know, Tony came up, not to compare these two as players at all, but just in terms of the years spent playing the game in their youth. And you're absolutely right. Um, I think the, the big thing with Giannis as he gets older will be developing the jumper and spending a lot of time shooting but right Mm -hmm. now he's able to go with as they say reckless abandon I remember when the Bucs drafted him he was much skinnier and now I mean he's a specimen the Bucs said when they drafted him we're going to get him in the weight room he's going to develop into a true NBA body which he has Um, but I think as he gets older like a lot of players um, developing a jumper will help their longevity he's nowhere near that point to have that concern about longevity he's still very young but um, I do think um, I do think there's still room for him to grow in certain facets of his game, believe it or not, which should be scary for uh, the rest of the NBA. Right. I mean, I always think, you know, he can do all this stuff in, inside. If he had a jumper, just forget it. I mean, how are you even going to guard this guy? You know, because now at least now he can let him stay out there. Maybe it's it's a little bit of a. Yeah, crapshoot whether he hits the outside shot or not and wait till he comes inside. But if he can hit that thing consistently, forget it. Yep. I know the Hall of Famer Charles Barkley often says on the air, just go to the basket. And he's right. I mean, Mm -hmm. like you said, he's he's unstoppable because he's so strong. He's seven feet. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of his strides seems like it goes from the free throw line to the basket. But in the future, I think, yeah, to continue to develop that shot. And it doesn't have to be a three-point shot either. No. You know, the continuing that mid-range shot. But it's just just the, the, the way he has developed and his attitude and, um, from, and also the, the, the shape that he's gotten in over the years. Just the whole combination of what makes him special is it, it, he, he's just a, an amazing story. And you got to tip your hat to uh, the Bucks front office for making that pick because at the time, you know, let's face it. Most of us didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. He was like a 14th pick or something like that. Yeah. I think, I think he was 15. I think. Yeah. Wow. I, I think there's a couple things he's got to give up on. And one thing he's really got to improve on. I think the experiment of him being kind of this point guard, I think that <laughs> it's time to move on from that. Uh, I think the the idea that he's got to take three point shots. I think he should yeah. give up on that. And then lastly, the free throws have got to improve. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah he, I, I agree. I uh, I think he needs when he gets ready to shoot free throws. And I was going over uh, some of the games, by the way, against the what would be the Bucks opponent in the finals. And Giannis actually shot free throws really well against. the the Suns in their games this year, but I think a shooting coach would help him with his form just a little bit on his free throws, just a little bit that could maybe make the difference in being more consistent, not to get wrapped up in that, but um, I think he could just get a little bit of help there. Same thing with his shooting, but yeah, I agree. The three pointers, 
I, I not a big fan of those for him, but he, um, you know, Mike Budenholzer, I mean, that's his thing. If you, if you've got it, take it. But I think most Bucks fans kind of hold their breath a little bit when he's out there that far away from the basket. You know, you mentioned Mike Budenholzer. I, I followed the NBA a little bit more a couple of years back. And then we went through the, uh, the quarantine year and I really didn't follow it last year and not as much this year. I'm starting to watch it a little bit more now, but when I talk to people that are fans that are knowledgeable about the bucks, the one thing they point to is Budenholzer. They're not a big fan of Budenholzer. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I, I think, I think that might uh, change this year because you won't be able to argue with the fact that the bucks will play for the championship. I mean, the, you've got to tip your hat to just like in, in football, there are people who maybe some people were down on Mike McCarthy, but then you look at the record and you look at the fact he's got a Super Bowl ring. But I think um, that the the loss to the Heat in the playoffs during, you know, the so-called bubble year, I think that, um, you know, certainly had people with a, a sour opinion. And then in the preceding year, the Bucks really had that series against the Raptors. And so I think sometimes people might fairly or unfairly look at a, maybe a coach's uh, game strategy and how sometimes uh, being so passionate about the three, even though that is the trend in basketball that's become the norm. Um, I think um, he's not a, a glamorous, he wasn't a glamorous hire when he got the job. He did some good things in Atlanta. Again, hard to get teams over the top in the East when LeBron was there. But so, I mean, he's, he wasn't the kind of hire that got a lot of buzz. He came through the Spurs juggernaut through the years as a, an assistant like I said, did some good things in Atlanta, and then they let him go, and and then he, he got the job with the Bucks. So I think people sometimes might wonder down the stretch of a game how his strategy is, and I'm not smart enough to know. <laughs> yeah, uh, Just when you watch sometimes, I think the, the loss to the Raptors and the, the, the series against the Heat might have gotten people, you know, to say, I don't know. But, you know, if, if, if Coach Bud gets him to the, you know, the, the Bucks are playing for the whole thing, <laughs> there's only there's only been uh, one other coach who's gotten the Bucks to the finals, Larry Costello. So, you know, if, if he can do it, he'll be in a, a special stratosphere forever with uh, us Bucks fans. You know, and I wonder if um, if they can wrap up the series with the Hawks without Giannis. I wonder if that'll turn some people's opinions about him because clearly you've got to use some kind of different strategy. It's got to be more coaching without a guy like that in there. That's a really good point. I was just going to say the great irony here is even though he seems like the ultimate team person is this would reflect well on him as a coach. If the Bucks are able to finish this thing off and win their first Eastern conference title or their first conference title, they were in the West the last time they won a conference title, their first conference title since 74. You're right. It would show his adaptability. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate why he would have to show it, right. <laughs> but right. You're, right. you're right. It, it does reflect well on him that he's able, uh, he'd be able to do that. So I think he's a, I think he's a really good coach. I mean, you look at the record and um, how he's been able to move pieces around over his few years that he's been with the Bucks. Um, I, I think, I think he's a, he's a really good coach and he'll be thought of much higher if, uh, you know, if he can take that next step. I was talking to a uh, a big Bucks fan here just today. Uh, this is in the aftermath of Game Five, where the Bucks won against Atlanta uh, without Giannis, and he made a somewhat uh, controversial claim 
that he felt the Bucks were a better team without Giannis on the floor, that that too much is funneled into Giannis and everybody stands around and waits for him to do his thing. And he said the flow was much better with uh, the the other guys on the on the floor without Giannis. And I kind of pressed him on it because I thought, how how is it possible the mm-hmm. team can be better without the MVP? <laughs> is there anything to that? Do you think the Bucks maybe not being better, but this more of a team play, do you think it might serve them well? Well, I think it, it serves them well to, this is my opinion. I disagree with the person you talked to, but I, overall it might serve them well in the fact that they know that they can win when he's not on the floor. It might strengthen their resolve that they probably don't want to do it for a, a whole season. They don't want to do it for the rest of the playoffs, but um I think it got Lopez even more involved. He's had a pretty good run here, but um, it did get, it seemed like it got Lopez more involved, but I still think they're better as long as he's going to the hoop. If he's going to, to the hoop, then he's either going to get a basket, draw a foul or both, or dish it to someone who's ready to shoot. And he draws so much attention. I When he's doing that, then, I mean, I, I just, can't say they're better without him on the floor. I, I know what he, you're, you're the person you spoke to is saying about flow because it, it is a little bit different. But as long as they can space things and he's going to the basket the way the Bucks need him to, then I would have to strongly disagree. But intellectually, I understand what he's saying or she is saying to you. That, that reminds me, and I know we're talking Bucks, but I'm going to go to the Packers for a second. When Devonte Adams was out for a few games, I think it was last year. Um, you know, the Packers would tear it up and they would be spreading the ball all over the place. And then Devontae Adams would come back and they'd try and force it, force it, force it. And they lost a couple of these games right after he came back. You think like, how can you lose? You got one of your best receivers, but they just were not using the rest of the team. And it is kind of surprising as a fan because we can see this. And sometimes it feels like, how can we see this? And the coaches not see that what's going on here. You know, I don't know anything about that stuff, but Yep. I think the important part of that for both the things you brought up, uh, Jim bringing up the Packer example and Chris with you and the person you talked to bringing up the Bucks, is when that star player comes back, maybe you ride that person in terms of meaning you rely on them a lot, but you can't force it too much where mm-hmm. the defense can figure out exactly, you know, what's going on. You know, if, if too many guys go on that player and negate them, then yes, the other guys have to do the job. But as long as they're not overly forcing it to that to that star and just kind of, you know, basketball is such a fluid game. Mm-hmm. If if Giannis is doing the things that makes him great, they're they're better with they're definitely better with him on the floor. But you're right, it, it is different and it does change things considerably. It it makes Middleton and Ho- Chris Middleton and, and Drew Holiday even more important. Do you have any knowledge about uh, the timetable for Giannis's return? Uh, would he be back for the Sun series if it happened, or uh, is it just up in the air right now? I, th- I think it's up in the air. I'm optimistic he would be back for the finals, just based on what you're reading and seeing. But I have no, I have no inside knowledge um, if he will be. But I'm going to be optimistic and say he will be back. But it sure, it sure looked scary there for a second thank yeah. goodness for his for i mean forget the fans just for Giannis that he doesn't have a, a torn acl because i thought oh no oh, yeah, you know, that, that, yeah it just yeah. was so awkward a lot of times it's not the big collisions it's just 
you come down on someone's foot. I mean, it, it, things can change just like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have some, we all uh, know what happened with uh, Kevin Durant a couple of years ago. He came back from an injury too quick, snapped a, an Achilles. He was out for a year. Oof. Yeah. It happened. It happened to him. And uh, you know, and then uh, not the same situation, but the Bucks were unfortunately in this case, a beneficiary of when Kyrie Irving came down on Giannis's foot. Oh, and yeah. there were a lot of people who were saying, oh, Giannis shouldn't have been in that position on the floor when it is in the Brooklyn series, when Irving came down and that, that changes the whole series. If you're a Nets fan, then you're wondering, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, it's one of your big, you're talking about the big three. That's, that's, that was, <laughs> that's an elite player. It's one of the top, it's one of the when when healthy, he's one of the top ten players in the league, and then he's gone. And mm-hmm. so that's the one thing about this year's playoffs is you've had a lot of stars who have gone down with injuries. And let's just hope that Giannis is back. Um, who knows? Maybe he'll be back at some point to fin at the time we're talking here to uh, to finish the Hawks series. But I'm gonna I'm gonna cross my fingers and be optimistic because they talk about how strong he is and how how much of a quick healer he is with the age he's at. He's still young that he'll be back. So, but if he can't, if he can't play, let's put it this way, it's gotta be really, really painful for him. Cause I think he'd do absolutely anything he could to get out there. Yeah. I have inside information from the internet that said that uh, they're optimistic that he would play in game seven if he needed to be. They, they said he might even do that. Yeah. And they said, of course, that gives everybody a uh, really warm and fuzzy feeling about if they actually make it to the finals, because that means that they're feeling that he's, if he's even close enough to get to game seven, then the finals is even more of a possibility. Yeah. It'd be great if, if it, they want you know, if they could finish it and yeah, skip that step. But yeah, if, if he's able to go even just a little bit, then, you know, then the question is how strong is he? And then how much does he change what the Hawks do and, and that sort yep. of thing. Which player is more important to the Bucks besides Giannis? Is it Middleton or is it Holiday? Well, uh, Middleton is the you know the big scorer. He can be a little bit inconsistent as a scorer. Um, I like how steady he is overall as a player because he's not just a shooter. He can be a good defender. He, he can be a good passer. People forget he's like six seven. Um, he's just a a fluid player. But to me, in my opinion. Holiday is a huge key. Always is. I, I just, I, I love that. I've always loved Drew Holiday as a player because of his defense. He's a lot more physically stronger than people realize. So he's a defender. He's the point guard. He's the ball handler on this team. He can also score. He drives to the basket aggressively. And he's also, he's a really smart player too. And when he drives, you might notice during these playoffs, especially we, you know, we were always taught growing up. And, you know, when I coach my son's rec league team, you can you use your opposite hand? He gets inside. He doesn't have his drives contested that often because he's able to, he shoots right-handed, but when he drives, he uses that left hand. He's gotten a ton of layups in these playoffs for that reason. So to me, he is even more, I mean, I think they're probably both equal, but to me, it's a little bit more him because he's the ball handler who sets the tone, but you've got to have both of them going, especially with Giannis down, but should they play the Suns, you've got to have both those guys going in high gear. I mean, Chris Middleton is paid as an elite player. He's got Olympian, he and Holiday, and they're Olympians, and so um, they're they're, I'd say they're both equal, but I'm going to give Holiday just a little bit more 
uh, importance. What about uh, what about Lopez? Uh, Lopez had a great game again, game five that we're talking about here with Atlanta, and he was in the paint. He was down low as opposed to the the splash mountain routine of a couple of years ago. Uh, if Giannis comes back, is there room for both of them in the paint? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Again, you're talking. You know, we're about the all of us are about the same age, so I'm old school. I like my guards out there, unless you were Dirk Nowitzki, who kind of changed the game as far as being a seven-footer who could shoot from 25 feet out. I like Lopez closer to the basket. And also remember against this Atlanta Hawks team, you know, they got Clint Capella, but they don't have much of a presence inside. I mean, Lopez can pretty much have his way. I mean, Capella is a good player, but other than him, I mean, it's not a coincidence Lopez has been feasting on the Hawks, whereas maybe in, in, against other teams that have a player who might be able to stop them or have more big players near the basket, maybe he wouldn't be as effective. I think the way Lopez is going, I say keep him down there as long as you're not clogging it up too much. But I think that's a great question to see if maybe he veers outside a little bit more when Giannis returns. But I would say keep him going to the basket. Find him for lobs when possible or feed him inside. Make him become someone the opposition has to deal with a little bit too because he just gives you another weapon. But it's a game of matchups, and I think right now he's benefiting because the Hawks don't have that much of an inside game. You know, But um, should they, they play the Suns, you know, maybe that would change. But I, I say I like the idea of him not – shooting more than a couple three-pointers. Get him going to the basket. He's been proving that he's a good finisher like he always was earlier in his career. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about the Suns here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the Suns' path to the playoffs, they were a number two seed, Mm -hmm. and uh, they beat the Lakers, got rid of LeBron uh, 4-2, and then they swept the Nuggets, uh, which Nuggets were probably a three seed at that point. And then they just recently wrapped up against the Clippers uh, 4-2. They won nine straight in that stretch mm-hmm. there. They, uh, uh, in dispensing with the Lakers, uh, the Nuggets, and the Clippers. Um, I know you're a big history fan. You know about the history of the coin flip, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. tell, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about that. There's a few historical uh, ties with these franchises, believe it or not, that go beyond the fact that a lot of Wisconsinites go to Arizona in the winter. Um, uh, we'll get back to what the Suns did in the playoffs in a second because you asked me about the coin flip. For those of who are younger and the hipsters on the bait and switch uh, podcast, those young folks with their rock and roll music and the skateboards and all that. Okay, 1968, the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks come into the National Basketball Association as expansion teams. Like most expansion teams, they were bad, real bad. And the way the NBA did the the draft back then, the two worst teams were qualified for the number one pick, and it was settled by a coin flip. Settled by a coin flip. Perhaps no player in the history of the sport was a more consensus number one player in the draft than known then as Lou Alcindor from UCLA. Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks both in the Western Conference, by the way, at the time, they they flipped the coin. Back then, it was so different. This would be a huge, you know, deal. The NBA lottery now is like this Broadway production. Now, the, the Suns had this campaign 
back then. They were so certain they were going to get this. They had the fans vote on what to call, heads or tails. That they called the they Jerry Colangelo, who's been the head of USA basketball for decades and was ran the Suns. They called heads because that was the consensus from the fans. They were certain they were going to win the coin toss. They flipped the coin in New York City at the commissioner's office, and then the Bucks owners were in Milwaukee. Jerry Colangelo and Johnny Red Kerr, who became a longtime voice of the Bulls, they were in Phoenix. They're all on the phone. There's a, a famous clip. They flip the coin, Phoenix calls heads, and it is tails. And poor Jerry Colangelo, he looked like someone just punched him in the stomach. He was stunned because they were so certain that the, they were going to win that coin toss. They called heads. It came up tails. The Bucks get Lou Alcindor, who eventually became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And you can't blame uh, Arizonans for saying, sure, you got your NBA title because, you know, you won that coin flip. But don't forget that uh, – Wayne Embry, the first uh, African-American general manager in professional sports, he was running the Bucks, former player for the Bucks in their expansion year. He made the trade for Oscar Robertson. You put those two great players together, and they win it. But it all started, this connection, Milwaukee, Bucks, and Phoenix Suns, because of that coin toss. And then they'd later meet in the playoffs years later when Kareem was with the Lakers then. In the spring of 78, they met in the playoffs, and the young, green, and growing Bucks upset them in the first round when it was a two out of three series and the bucks it was a it was one of my favorite memories chris weir in seventh grade at at that time so there's there's little bits of history with these teams but i guarantee you that's going to be told over and over again and uh i think i think luau cinder was ready for phoenix in the warm weather uh (laughs) kareem has told that story you know he went to ucla I'm not sure if he was that big on the Bucks winning it at the, the, the coin toss, but he wound up getting a championship out of it. What, why didn't they just do a Zoom? I mean, they could yeah. just, right? I mean, like, what the heck? You Google, for those, for our, the listeners, if you can find that clip, you just, you hear the screaming in the background of the Bucks in elation. Mm-hmm. And this, the shock of the Suns and the, the, the story of they drafted a, a center out of Florida named Neil Walk who had a good NBA career, but the, the poor man, he's deceased now, he had to be in the shadow of being the person picked after one of the greatest players. If not, you can argue for a long time, you know, Mike, that he's one of the top two or three players of all time that the Bucks got from a, a coin flip. And he also had a chance to go to the New York Nets of the uh, ABA. And he, he, he wanted to because he's from New York, but mm. he ultimately decided – to, to go with the more conventional league. Yeah. And so that, that coin toss shaped the Bucks for many years because not only did they get Kareem and, or Lou Cinder at the time, and they won the championship in 71 and went on to the finals in 74. But then when they traded them, they got this bevy of, of picks that went on to be the nucleus of the team for many years after that. You know, what really makes me mad is when national media I've heard a lot of people say how dumb the Bucks were, that they traded him and, and all this, and what did they get for him, and blah, blah, blah. It was actually a great, a great trade, what the Bucks did. The Bucks, they didn't want to trade Kareem, and I brought up Wayne Embry again, who coincidentally, incidentally, was a, a family friend. He knew my dad through business and came over to our house, and this was so different then, guys. Kareem and Wayne Embry basically – trusted each other to keep this quiet 
that they were going to trade him because he had, at the time, he now appreciates Milwaukee, but as we all know, Kareem at the time had had enough. He wanted out of Milwaukee and he didn't want to play for the, for the Bucks anymore. And so he really wanted to go to the Knicks because as I said, he's from New York. That was his first choice. But the Knicks were on the way down at that point from those early great teams of the early 70s. And so Wayne Embry looked and said, well, who has the assets that we can rebuild our organization? It was the Lakers. They had two of the top five draft picks. uh, And then they had some other young players who they could include in this deal. And while people said, how could you trade Kareem? Well, he didn't want to play for the Bucs anymore. And the first year that Kareem was a Laker and the Bucs were rebuilding – Lakers didn't make the playoffs. The Bucs did. <laughs> Everyone forgets that. You know, the Lakers really didn't do that much until Magic Johnson joined Kareem, just like Oscar joined mm-hmm. Lou Alcindor. I mean, it takes more than one person. But, yes, they got Junior Bridgman, who became one of the best sixth men of all time. Mm-hmm. They got Dave Myers, who's a really good power forward, who retired prematurely, who would have had a great NBA career. They got Brian Winters one of the best outside shooters of his generation. It's a shame the three-point shot wasn't available before that. They also got a seven-footer named Elmore Smith, who was a fantastic shot blocker and averaged double figures and points and rebounds at that point. And then they parlayed Elmore Smith into who eventually, eventually, it's a long story, became Marcus Johnson. And within two years of that trade, guys, Don Nelson was the coach then, kind of Wayne Emery kind of transferred things over, and they became – green and growing, and they were on their way for over a decade again. And I don't think you can find many teams who who really didn't have much of a lull, you know, after trading arguably the greatest player in the history of the sport. What happened was the Bucks basically built a team of college All-Americans as a result from getting these draft picks. You know, guys like Quinn Buckner, Marcus John. I mean, these were some of the best college basketball players at that time. And they all became the Bucks, And unfortunately, they just couldn't get past the Lakers in the West. Then they moved to the East. And if they beat Dr. J, they couldn't beat Larry Bird or vice versa. But mm-hmm. they had great teams for over a decade. And it all kind of stemmed from that Kareem uh, deal. Sorry, you got me going. I know it's a little Oh, story. no, no. I wanted to get into that uh, diversion. So anyway, the, the Suns, uh, they beat the Lakers with LeBron and then on to the Nuggets. And then on to the Clippers, who they just dispatched a couple of nights ago. So... Um, Let's talk about the Clippers. Now, we talked a little bit before doing this podcast that maybe we're not quite as up on it. Uh, I haven't been watching the Suns here. Um, they've got uh, – let's just go through the starting lineup. You've got uh, the, the young uh, star is Booker. Um, what's his first name? Devin. Devin Booker. Yep. And then, then you got experience in Chris Paul, who's 36. Yep. Not, a young, not a young buck by any stretch of imagination. And then DeAndre Ayton, is that yep. how you say his name? Ayton, yes. The center. Yep. And then Mikel Bridges. And then we've got a Milwaukee connection again here. Uh, at power forward, we got Jay Crowder. Yep, you got Jay Crowder from Marquette. And then, uh, by the way, Frank Kaminsky's on this team. He hasn't played mm. much, but you've, from uh, the Wisconsin Badger. Yeah, the, the Suns, and I don't want to take away from the Suns because, honestly, I'm excited that the Suns are in it because my all-time favorite uh, basketball player is Paul Westfall, who – actually just passed away or this year is one of the most beloved Phoenix Suns ever, but that's another story. Um, they, they didn't have to deal much with Anthony Davis in the first round. And then when they played Denver, Jamal Murray, the Nuggets guard, he was hurt. And then against the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard was hurt. 
And so I, on one hand, they're all, sure, Grayson, you're taking away from the Phoenix Suns. I don't want to take away from the Phoenix Suns because – I, I mean, I think they're legit. This was a big turnaround year for them, sort of like when um, Mike Budenholzer's first year as Bucks coach, they really made a big, big ascent. That's what happened this year with the Suns, and I think you really have to put it on uh, Chris Paul that, for really bringing leadership on the court and their coach, uh, Monty Williams, who's uh, one of the most respected coaches, uh, loved, absolutely beloved by his players, never should have been let go, uh, when he coached uh, in New Orleans, and he really brought stability, and leadership to young players. And then, like happens in a lot of times, guys, whether it's we've seen it with the Brewers, we saw it when the Packers got Reggie White. You bring in a veteran who is not just a leader, but who's a really good player, and you put him in the mix with these young guys, and that is just a great combination. And that's what happened with Chris Paul, because wherever Chris Paul has gone, He's made his teams better. He did it with Oklahoma City last year when he knew that team wasn't going to go that far in the playoffs. They improved greatly when the Rockets traded because Chris Paul embraced that leadership role. And he and they kind of used it as a one-year pit stop, if you will, to get him to another team. He wanted to go to the Phoenix Suns, and the two big reasons were the coach, Monty Williams, and then also Devin Booker because he saw that Booker was ready to take that next step and the playoffs have shown it. I mean, this guy is a really good player. He averaged about 26 points per game during the regular season, and he's gone up about a point and a half in the playoffs. He's averaging 27 points per game, loves the spotlight. He's aggressive. He doesn't take anything from anybody. He's tough. And then you've got Chris Paul. So I keep using the word stabilize things, but that's what he's done. This will be a fantastic series with these teams meeting because they both use the phrase big three to go back to that again. You've really got two teams that are led by a trio of stars, Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis for the Bucks, and the guys you mentioned, Booker, Aiton, and Paul for um, the Suns. I guess the big difference is none of them have been in the NBA as long as Chris Paul, but I think those are the, each of them has that trio that you look at. So let's, I'll kind of ask kind of a standard question in here whenever there's these matchups. Let's assume Giannis is playing. Yeah. How do the Bucks win this series? How does, how do the Suns win this series? What, uh, what has to happen for each of these teams to be successful? Suns have home court advantage. They won uh, five more games during the season. So we should, for, for, I mean, I think a lot of people who are listening are, are really up on the Bucks right now. They probably know that, but Suns will have home court advantage, so the Bucs are going to have to win on the road. I think uh, before I, I directly answer your question, also needs to uh, a big storyline is what these teams did in the regular season. They played twice. They were both one-point games. Suns won them both. In February, they played in Phoenix. Phoenix won 125-124. High-scoring game. Bucks led by 12 at halftime. Giannis had 47 points and 11 rebounds in that game. And he made, I believe, 17 of 21 free throws. Mm. So he got to the line a lot. So the Suns, Suns didn't have much of an answer for him inside. The second time these teams played was in April. It was at uh, Pfizer Forum. Overtime, Suns won by a point again, 128-127. Bucks led by seven after three quarters. Giannis had 
33 in that game, including 9 of 10 from the free throw line. Middleton had 26. Holiday had 25. And in the, on the Sun side in both games, the guys we've talked about led the way. Um, for, for the Bucks to win, Giannis, Giannis obviously has to be in there, and he's got to be a factor going to the basket. Now, the, it'll be interesting to see who's covering him because uh, DeAndre Ayton is their, you know, he's their guy inside. He's their finisher. Who covers Giannis? I'm assuming that he would, but maybe Jay Crowder is guarding. You know, and Jay Crowder's physical. Try to push, you know, try to push him around. I'm not sure how uh, the Suns would play it. Chris Paul has got to be uh, neutralized. Now, do you have the two floor leaders? Do you have uh, Drew Holiday guard him? Do you shake things up there? I, I think that's a great matchup. Holiday's a little bit younger. They're similar players. They're both physically stronger than some people might think they are. So you, you can't let Chris Paul uh, get, you know, he's got that toughness. You, you, you've got to kind of neutralize him a little bit, just like they're going to have to try to do it to Holiday. But Booker, Booker is the guy. Because to me, if Chris Paul can get those assists to Booker, if Booker can go off, like he had 30 points against the Bucks in the game in Phoenix, and uh, he had 24 in the game in Milwaukee. And I said he's averaging 27 a game in the playoffs. If he goes off, that's that's bad for the for, for the Bucks. And and because then that opens things up for eight, who who you know he he won that game against the Clippers on the the the, the lob pass. If you guys saw that, and and it was a huge game for them. Uh, they've got a really good supporting cast. Crowder gives them toughness. They're gonna have, Bucks are gonna have to deal with that. So I think Booker, to me, is a huge key trying to deal with him. Uh, on the Bucks side, it's not really any secret. Their big three have got to play like we know they're capable of playing. Holiday and Middleton, Booker and Paul, that is a great matchup. Can Giannis drive the floor or will Ayton and Crowder stop him? At some point, that to me is is the gist of it. If, if the Bucks can just – keep opening things up that way and the Suns get flummoxed trying to stop Giannis, then I, I like the Bucks' chances. But um, I think that's, that's the key because the Suns have some, they have some toughness there along with their, uh, their, their scoring. Um, the, the Suns, if I'm not mistaken, I'm counting here, have, they've got like uh, six guys who average, have averaged in double figures in the playoffs. They've got a lot of balance. The Bucks can bring balance too. These are both these are deep teams. The Suns are a little bit deeper than the Bucks are because DiVincenzo is hurt. That hurts the Bucks. He's at ten points a game. So the Suns are deep. They play a few more guys off the bench. Um, so I'm kind of covering a lot of different things here. But if Giannis can get to the hoop, that that's one key. And can they somehow? keep Booker from going absolutely bananas. Um, Suns are a tough team. They're, 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 they're tough. And, and, and literally, I mean that. I mean, Crowder, he, he, Crowder's tough. Chris Paul is. We got some really strong-minded players. Booker, too. Bucks are going to have to match that mentality. It, you know, um, we have no way of knowing this, obviously. But if, if Giannis is playing – of course, that knee is going to be the question, you know, is he going to be comfortable driving that way? And, and, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be fully healed. We know that. Yeah. Um, 
So it could be on his mind as he's going in, might be hesitant. Who knows what's going on there? So that's uh, certainly that's going to be a factor, I would imagine. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, it's a huge part of the series. I mean, there's there's a few storylines when these teams meet. You're going to hear about the coin flip before the series, <laughs> and then and then they're going to look at the regular season meetings, both being decided by a point. But I think more than anything, it's the injury story with yeah. with Giannis because that that tips the series right there. If mm-hmm. he's not if he's not close to what he was, um, the Bucks might be able to steal a game. Uh, possibly if he's not, but they need him against this team because the uh, Phoenix will be a tough place for the Bucks to play because the Suns naturally, their fans are as hungry as Bucks fans are. And the Bucks are going to have to, you know, take a game on their home court uh, Mm -hmm. to win this thing. Yeah. I got to imagine that going into this series that we're talking about that might not happen. I got to think the Suns are going to be favored. Like you said, you got the home court, you got Giannis either not there or hobbled. And so it'll be an upset if the Bucks win. I, th- I think so. And I think the other storyline is you're going to hear pretty much every national media person fawning about how this is Chris Paul's moment in the mm-hmm. sun. And, you know, there'd be no pun intended. And that'd be great. You know, you know, yes, it's a nice story. Should he win the NBA championship? He's had a successful career. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a sad symmetry here in the Suns playoff path, as I discussed earlier in that, um, you know, there's been some, some injured players along the way, which definitely hasn't hurt in their path, you know, to, to get to the finals at the yeah. same time they've gotten there. And so you got to tip your hat to them, but um, yeah, I agree. I think that if the Bucks, if this series happens, I think you have to make the Suns the, uh, the favorite, not by much, but uh, the fact that, uh, the fact the way the season series went the way it did, uh, Suns are on a roll. They've got the home court. You've got uh, you've got Devin Booker playing out of his mind, plus uh, the way Chris Paul is, um, and then the, the Giannis uh, knee situation. I think you may, you have to make him a slight favorite in this one. So maybe the Bucks can use that underdog status uh, <laughs> as fuel to the fire. Yep. yep. Well, Jeff, uh, maybe we talked off air. Maybe we talked on air about this. You also did the Brewers uh, pregame, postgame for the same uh, Fox Sports. And uh, come fall, if the Brewers find themselves in a similar situation as the Bucks, like I said, emergency podcast number two. And this time, Jim <laughs> will have far more to say, and I'll be a little bit more quiet. <laughs> That's true. Jim, Jim is uh, very much more tuned into baseball. Yep. Well, let's let's keep wearing the rally hats. I know that our buddy uh, Augie, my Jerry Augustine, my on-air partner, all those years, he had a great time with you guys. And uh, yeah, the Brewers are a fantastic story because I don't think people thought they'd be where they are. We're only halfway through. Baseball's a grind, but uh, Craig Council's a fantastic manager. You, you've got to give the front office and the scouts credit for the way these young pitchers have developed. Can they keep it going? You can count on David Stearns probably to make a move because the Brewers are definitely in buying mode, not selling mode. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just uh, keep the brew crew going. Like Jim was saying when we were talking earlier, it seems like the bats are starting to come alive. You know, there's going to be a lull, but I just love Craig Council in charge as the guy to help weather those lulls because mm-hmm. he's been through it. He relates to the players well. Um, they've got a shot. They're a huge surprise in yep. baseball. Yep. Just keep it, but it's such a long season. You've got to see how they do when things, you know, inevitably aren't going to quite go their way. I just am 
anxious to see if they make a move here during during the summer. Not that they're not playing great, but just because the Brewers are really have been really good in the Adonagio era of when they need to make a, a pickup, whether it's Mustakas, Granky, Sabathia, on and on and on, they do it. Yep. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what they what needs they might have. Maybe maybe middle relief. But are we, Chris, are you trying to? I was thinking. I was thinking. You're thinking of Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. First, they oh, need right. shelter. <laughs> right. Right. First, they, they need, need. Yeah. They need right. food and then yeah, right. shelter, <laughs> right. and then they need uh, companionship. Right. Right. Companionship. Right. Yeah. Whatever. Sure. Yeah. Yep. They right. got and then that. Finally, self-actualization. I mean, right. if they get there, then <laughs> I, I see them yeah. going all the way. And I think yep. number number five isn't that third base? Third baseman, right? Number five is yep. uh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> third baseman. Another another bat besides the. The, the self-concept there that you brought up. Uh, I, I think maybe just one more, a little bit more uh, offense if there's that to be had, but I agree pitching when in doubt, you know, yep. I, but I'm, I'm confident that the Brewers, you know, you never know how it's going to go with the Cubs and the Cardinals in, in that division to deal with, but um, I'm confident that the Brewers will do whatever they can to find a piece here or there, but it's just great to, to, to see the Brewers in the mix again. I, yep. I just, I just love that. Yeah. It is the, the Willie Adamas thing that has yeah. been crazy good now and not the wood, you know, but you know, we should, we should yep. probably not go too, too far yep. into this because we're talking yeah, Josh, about tonight, uh, so. <laughs> Yeah. Josh, we will, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have this conversation again, come a couple months when the Brewers are going to the world series. Maybe we'll, you're coming into town. Maybe we'll see a George Webb's here in a couple of days. Yeah. That'd see be good. The, See if the Brewers uh, see if the Brewers can do it, but let's see if the see if the Bucks can do it. It, it, it for the you know the Bucks right. to win the championship, they'll have to win a game in Phoenix, and yep. it'll just take me back to 1978. They had to do the same thing. They didn't have home court in that series, and they were the underdog. So uh, you know, I talked about the Phoenix toughness. Bucks have some toughness too with Holiday, PJ Tucker. Yep. Uh, they, they've got some toughness as well. So I think it'll and, be a great. I think it'll be a great series. So let's see if the Bucks can do it. And for fear of getting further along here, we got to wrap this up. Bobby Pettis, he stepped up because of Giannis' Portis. injury. Yeah. Portis, I'm sorry, yep. Bobby yep. Portis. Yep. There's another guy. He brings him some veteran, a veteran presence off the bench. He would be a he'll be a big key also, especially if Giannis maybe can't play as many minutes. Mm. They feed off Portis's emotion. Tucker's too. You know, you you got you got the steadiness of some of the other players. You need that emotion. That and and you know double figures and points doesn't hurt either. You need that from a guy like Portis off the bench, and who knows? Depending on Giannis's knee, he may continue to to uh, play more minutes, and then you need Tucker as a, for his defensive toughness on the floor to deal with all those Suns points. Yep. Well, uh, Jeff, you bring a veteran presence to our podcast here <laughs> as a uh, longtime sportscaster here for for uh, some great Wisconsin teams. Well. Thanks again for uh, stopping in on, on short notice. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show again. Yeah, thanks, hey, Jeff. thanks. Thanks for having me guys. Be good. All you right. Too. You've made it to the end of yet another bait and switch podcast. Spread the word.